bump 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 music stuff happens. Hello, Alaska. This is Matt Buxton. And I'm Pat Race. And this is a podcast about Alaska. Okay, today is the 15th of November, and uh, we had a big election last week, and uh, we're here to unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So what, is, uh, what do things look like in Fairbanks? What, what are you seeing in the state? Um, what's the reaction to the national? Should we start with the national election, or should we start with the so. state election? I think election? that's the thing that's on most people's minds right now. I think what we're going to see with the state election is probably, or state politics is probably going to be, uh, you know, relying in some ways on the national, whether, you know, or not the rule of law breaks down. Um, I guess <laughs> <laughs> what I've seen well, is... Well, that's optimistic. <laughs> is, I mean, that's the thing. I think I see a lot of people here um, in my in my own life and in my reporting that are really um, nervous. I think it's, you know, I think there's a wait and see approach on one hand and a, uh, society's coming to an end on the other, I think. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, you're in a, you're in a fairly conservative part of the state though. I mean, there must be a lot of people celebrating this, uh, results, right? You know, n- not really. I think, um, and maybe this is why some of the polls were so wrong, but I think that a lot, for the most part, a lot of Trump supporters, um, are kind of secret Trump supporters. So I'm not seeing a whole lot of um, celebrations, uh, a whole lot of that kind of thing, to be honest. And not a whole lot of groups are coming out and really um, rallying the streets because we're going to be able to mine everything and drill everything. So Are you seeing protests at all? Yeah, we're seeing, I mean, we're, there's candlelight vigils. And I guess there's a debate over whether we call those protests or not. But, um, you know, it was definitely, there's definitely some anti-Trump um, vigils, candlelight vigils going on. Uh, you know, there's a lot of call to unity as sort of the message that I see. You know, I think we've we've had a couple examples, anecdotal examples up here of, you know, the kind of um, face-to-face sort of threatening and harassing that we've seen in the lower 48. And mm-hmm. so I think there's there's a desire. I think um, it, it's, it's not necessarily protesting the results of the election, but really protesting, I think, the division within the country that has been created and uh, I think there's a lot of show, uh, a lot of showing of solidarity to uh, minority groups that I think really rightly feel afraid uh, right now. So, but, <laughs> pretty uh, but grim. That's the thing, that's the thing though, is like I, this isn't the creation of a division. This is the, this is sort of just seeing that it exists and affirming it. Right. This is the the affirmation of a division. I've been watching a lot of great like <laughs> political satire and. And one of the ones that I really loved is the Saturday Night Live skit where, uh, like, these two black guys are watching an election with the with kind of the liberal white guy crowd, and they are not shocked at all that this is happening because yeah. they're they're like, oh, of course, yeah, no, no, this is what happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <This> is, <laughs> why I mean, do you guys th- why do you guys think this is abnormal? <laughs> this is how elections work. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think yeah. um, I think on the one hand, I think a lot of people are. Um, I think, yeah, faced with that, faced with that kind of like deep division, I think people are maybe, hopefully, trying to, you know, look, seriously look at, you know, why those divisions exist and how we can make them better. Yeah, or, yeah, maybe I mean, bridge those gaps. I think in a, uh, we're uniquely positioned in Alaska because we have such like small communities, and yeah. and 
I've been having a lot of conversations like in the sauna at the swimming pool with conservatives and liberals alike. And it's, it's been really, it's been helping me get, you know, get past some of this. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and even if they're arguments, it's, it's nice to know that we're all talking to each other. Yeah. (laughs) And so I, that's the thing is like, I don't think it's really changed anything uh, here, as I slowly poke my head up, I feel like I've had my head in the sand for for most of the last week. <laughs> yeah, I've um, been under the bed. Yeah, yeah. It's and and I mean, it affected me personally not because I was like a huge fan of Hillary Clinton, but because I just felt like Donald Trump was completely unqualified for the position and and the baggage that he brings along with him, like the the affirmation that that our country has, you know, this white nationalist. Uh, nougaty core to it is, is is really disturbing. You know, I, I, I kind of felt like we were getting past some of that, and and this is a, a kind of an affirmation that we're not getting past that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is like a, kind of a personal thing here, but you know, I'm I'm Mexican. I'm ha- half Hispanic, I guess. So, um, but my mom, I'm, I'm gonna miss you, Matt. Yeah, <laughs> you've been doing great things for the state. I'm, I'm just, I'm gonna miss you. Yeah, but I mean, so the, so actually, in the in the weeks leading up to the election, I I've been kind of wrestling with, um, what it means to be mixed race a little bit, and, um, you know, my last my the last name I use in print and the last name I've always used is my my father's last name, which is Buxton, which is this great you know, old English, you know, last name. And sounds like a stone house on a hill. Exactly. Well, it's actually from a place in, in England where there were bucking stones. It was totally, yeah. (laughs) Anyways, but so I've been trying to kind of figure out what I want, you know, how to sort of embrace my, um, my mixed race. And, and, um, I think it was, it was actually kind of, so my middle name is Acuna and that's my mother's Mm -hmm. maiden name, which is actually, and this is, kind of ironically a thing that I didn't know until our president-elect went and visited Mexico, but that a lot of Mexicans have two last names. And oh, so I was, you know, I, the last few weeks I'd been kind of thinking about potentially adding that last name mm-hmm. um, to print and to start using it fully and kind of just to recognize it. And I think to recognize, um, you know, that my mother and my family on that end grew up in California at a time where it was extremely racist. You know, my mother doesn't grew up in a Spanish speaking household, but was never actually learn allowed to learn how to speak it. Wow. Um, because it was just kind of, it was, it was not, it wasn't good for you. You know, it was, it was a dangerous risk. And I remember, um, which is crazy because these are the people that lived in California before it was California. Yeah. <laughs> and mean, they're like, that's in the indigenous people of that area. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think it, and it's it's one of those things where, you know, I think kind of I'm not I don't really think of myself as Mexican. And I guess I don't really think of myself as white, but, you know, I'm mixed race. And that's kind of that's an identity within itself. And but but anyway, so getting to like about 930 on <laughs> Election Day, you know, I it, and when it became real that this country had voted f- the way it did for somebody who was either willingly um encouraging racist thinking or or attitudes um, so he was yeah he was either leveraging that rhetoric for his own gain or or he legitimately means it or he did or he didn't know better and that's even kind of even more scary and so i think for me it became very real that 
oh, like adding that middle name is maybe a bad idea. And it's not necessarily a bad idea. Like I'm going to see repercussions immediately or I'm not going to, I don't, I'm not really worried about being targeted in the street, I guess, as far as like having slurs yelled at me. But I think there's something, it, it, it showed me that maybe my Mexican heritage isn't valued in this culture, you know, in this society. And I think that was what that vote said in some ways, just at least ignoring, I think, and I think that's kind of what is a really important point of this election is that we're talking about what groups we missed and what groups we didn't understand and all that sort of stuff. And I think that's valuable. And I think one of the, the things that we see taken away from it is that, you know, these liberal reporters didn't understand white working class America. And I think, yeah, but also white working class America maybe doesn't understand the the perils that it is to be a minority in this country. Yeah. And and maybe they need to understand that, too. Yeah, it's really I mean, on, there's so many different takes and there's so much blame and there's so much confusion and and misinformation even that it's hard to it's hard to parse. And so, you know, the the narrative that you know, maybe we don't understand white middle class workers and and those are the people that made this happen. Like I don't I mean, I think it's going to be months and months before we really know what happened i mean we kind of have these narratives that are bubbling up but it's hard to it's hard to know exactly without talking to a lot of individual people i mean i think you know um i think my kind of the the take i've the the hot take that i have (laughs) if i I feel like i I mean it is that i think a lot of people don't understand a lot of other people in this country regardless if it's um, you know, the liberal elite and working class whites or minorities and whites or, you know, anything like that. I think really, I think across the board, people really don't understand each other. And I think there's really, you know, um, I think, uh, again, I think we, we see in a lot of ways kind of the resegregation of America through some of this. And it's through the kind of cultural circles we run in or, or, or the socioeconomic conditions that are created in, in this country. But I think that it's, for whatever reason, we just really can't understand each other in any sort of, sort of material way where it, either it's understanding the, the concerns of the white, the working class whites or the, the reason why uh, a young black man might be afraid to interact with the police. Yeah, I think that part of that is that it's become easier to kind of get two different news sources. Like, it, there's so much, we have so much access now with technology that... Um, we're not all reading the same newspaper anymore. You know, we're not all thinking about the same ideas and they're not um, all held to the same editorial standard. And so I think that there's a lot of, um, I think that it's what you're talking about, that division and pocketing is happening. Like when I talked to my sister about the election, uh, she told me she got most of her news from Facebook and didn't didn't seem to think it was like that big of a deal. And so I, sent her a bunch of news articles and she read through a couple and (laughs) was like, Oh, send me some more stuff. (laughs) And, and, uh, and I don't, you know, I don't blame her. I mean, she didn't vote for Trump, but, but at the same time, she really has that, you know, wait and see mentality. Mm -hmm. And she had a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a, like a tisk tisk kind of thing going on for people who are protesting. Um, and, 
that's not uncommon. I've heard that from multiple mm-hmm. like conservative friends yeah. that like, oh man, these protesters are really like They're really bumming us out. Bumming, yeah, bumming <laughs> me out. Like, well, think about it from these. You know, I like, try and think from their perspective. Like, what are they? And and I think that what you just talked about is exactly what people are going through. They feel mm-hmm. delegitimized. They feel like unloved by this nation, and and they feel like. A kind of a bully and a tyrant has been elected yeah. and whether you feel that way or not it's important to to acknowledge that other people do feel that way and i would say too you know if if you if you argue if you don't if you disagree with the idea that um you know america has elected a bully and a tyrant like prove it like encourage your community to to you know, embrace these these groups that feel marginalized, like make th- make them feel at home. Like that's, I think that's a real big opportunity right now that Trump could be taking to you know to to come out and give a speech, give a rally where he makes these people feel better. Or you know, these supporters who say tisk tisk, like maybe go out and and make these people feel like they're not worried. Like it's a dismiss, dis, it's a complete dismissal of those concerns. And I think that's. Um, I think that's really worrying yeah and and i think it goes back to what you're talking about is like how do we understand each other a little bit better and i think yeah. that's a great i think that's a great goal i, I yeah. actually i it kind of leaves me with the question of it like who are who are people you feel like you don't understand like what what groups of people do you feel like you need to personally understand yeah. better Oof. i mean really everybody i mean i think that's that's kind of the, the sort of the job of a reporter right i mean yeah, we go out every day and are trying to <clears throat> understand other groups better. And I would say, totally though, like there there are groups that I feel more comfortable interacting with than others. And that's just simply, you know, mm-hmm. like dropping into a Alaska Native village, you know, is you know almost maybe the most extreme case. And I feel like I've gotten more comfortable going into it. But my first experiences there were, uh, you know, basically I was, you know, everyone was so gracious that they they didn't make me feel like i was um totally just sort of treading on everything but um. yeah (laughs) coming in as an outsider into a village for the first time is it's really easy to feel like you're just stepping on stuff yeah but i think there's there's a lot of you know i think really i think um i do i do think uh there really could be a better understanding of working class you know i think we put white working class in there but i think a lot of the concerns and fears that were driving what we can sort of the the political pundits are calling the white working class really are unique or not unique to them at at all i think those are kind of anxiety that a lot of you know working class mexicans and working class uh african americans have you know i think though that kind of thing that sort of that paycheck to paycheck that kind of insecurity of job i think that's something that's really um, not understood at a lot of levels. And I think, you know, lo- you look to, uh, you know, government, local, even local government, I think people really don't think about those kind of people because they're not, you know, if you're working paycheck to paycheck, like who's advocating for you on a, on a legislative level, you know? Right. You and, don't have time to, yeah. you, you aren't, you, they don't have a lobbyist. Yeah, they don't have, a, yeah. And so like, <laughs> And so I think that they're not very engaged. And I think that's the thing is that I think we think of ourselves, I think of myself as a pretty engaged person because I'm a reporter, you know, but I, you know, the the people I interact with are the elected legislature and like chambers of commerce and like these big sort of nonprofits and, Mm -hmm. or not even big nonprofits, but you know, nonprofits where people can kind of afford to be engaged. 
people that aren't engaged. I think I would like to really know more about them. Do you, do, is there a group that you feel like coming I out of this? You um, understand? Yeah, I guess I should have expected that question to turn back around on me. Huh? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that, uh, I think that I could do a lot better in understanding like the, um, like I'm not a very religious person and I don't mm. understand that world as well. And so, you know, like the, um, you know, maybe not exactly the Jim Minneries of the world, but like the, the people who are sort of conservative Christians, I, it's not a world that I'm a part of, yeah. um, or that I understand very well. Um, and beyond that, I think even some of the more, more interesting, um, divisions of like, um, you know, I mean, like we have like big Mormon populations and, um, some of those are minority groups and, mm-hmm. um, and, and things like that, how, where the intersection of minority, uh, minority groups and, uh, religious groups mix and mingle. I think those are some of the, the, uh, like aspects, some of the, the nooks and crannies and corners of, of our population here in Alaska that I really don't understand. Yeah. And I think there's some, probably some of the most complicated and fascinating too, is in terms of like making a decision about a specific issue. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I can't imagine how you go into this, into this election if you're a, um, you know, if your church tells you that you're voting for Trump and then you're, you're also a minority that might be sent back home as a result of that. And I, I mean, that's a, a pretty big conflict, I think, for a, a person to face down. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. I mean, I grew up in a pretty atheist household and I remember, uh, being invited to my friend's, uh, Catholic, uh, summer camp. And I remember thinking when I got there and to the bus drop off and thinking of where are all the white collars, <laughs> you know, I, I was under the impression that all Catholics wore white collars. And so, but yeah, I mean, I think like, I, I remember going to his dinner for, or his house for dinner once and, um, being asked to say grace and I had no idea what to do. And I think that's, I think that is a really interesting thing because I think, Religion is, um, for the most part, a very you know, pers- very intensely personal sort of and experience powerful. and powerful too. Yeah. And um, I think it's something that, uh, for a lot of people, is a very big factor in their lives. But I think I do think that you know there are cultural pressures to now to be kind of quiet about your religion, and yeah. so we don't get to hear about that part of of people's faith and what that how that drives their decision making and how they vote or even how they legislate. You know, I think. We very rarely hear about it. Like, um, it's actually interesting. You know, I, the big uh, local race here um, in the local elections was between um, John Coghill mm-hmm. uh, and a Republican incumbent, and um, and uh, former uh, Fairbanks North Star Borough Mayor uh, Luke Hopkins, a Democrat. And um, John is a very conservative guy. He, you know, and very religious, very deeply religious guy. And you know, he believes that earth was created you know six thousand years ago and he believes in um that sort of stuff and i think it kind of came up during the election as sort of an attack you know that oh john can't possibly support the university because he kind of had has this belief that doesn't align doesn't align with the fossil record you know i did see that email going around there was like an email i don't know if it was actually was that actually from him it was yeah i talked about it yeah he criticized the university's uh, geology department or something like yeah. that. Yeah. What, what, maybe you can explain it better. What happened there? Yeah, it was basically um, he had asked them, or someone had sent him emails, and in, in the two, and it was in two thousand when it, the email was sent, and mm-hmm. it was basically a, a professor asking about 
his support for the university. And he wrote back, and the top of the email is kind of a standard Republican response of, in these tough fiscal times, you know, we have to tighten our belts and cut the fat and, you know, that kind of thing. And But the end of it kind of was sort of weird where he says, you know, to be honest, I'm kind of a critic of the university. I'm skeptical of, of what you guys do because you guys... Uh, have a Marxist way of thinking, I think is what he said. And yeah. and he doesn't like the dis, the dishonesty of the, the geologists and, and the fossil record. And I asked him about it, actually, and and he kind of, um, he said, yeah, pretty much still believe a lot of that stuff. That's something that we don't really talk about. Like, I, I've always wondered, you know, how many people run our government and actually do believe that the earth is you know less than six thousand years old or whatever and and how does that impact their decision making Mm -hmm. and and (laughs) and maybe the question also we should probably be asking i guess to be fair is are they right (laughs) yeah but i think well actually i mean one of the things is that i think the email was sort of floated and kind of used as a social media sort of attack on him right um but it didn't work but it didn't work and also i think what it really kind of came off to, especially to the people who are these sort of um, that are even the least bit religious, is that that was an attack on his religion. You know, that was sort of making fun of him for his yeah. hokey beliefs and or what people were, were trying to cast as hokey beliefs. And, you know, I think, you know, whether or not you feel like he is right or wrong for fe- believing what he believes in, it's still his faith. And I think that, I think, was sort of a... a pretty um left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth because it you know looks like you're attacking him for what he believes in and and you're criticizing someone's faith and not and not like their policy stance yeah i mean i think just bringing faith into it especially when john really isn't you know he doesn't come across as like this bible thumping you know pastor or anything like that at in in the legislature and so for it to be brought in there is sort of trying to shame him over it, which I think was kind of an interesting sort of dynamic in that whole exchange. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, that's like, I think we should, maybe we should table that for another episode. Yeah. But like re- religion is, is a big part of who, who we are in Alaska and who there are so many different ways that that is interpreted, that faith is interpreted. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as someone who doesn't, who didn't grow up in a really, Strict, really, strictly religious household. It's you know, it's interesting to me to look into that. What does that? How does that shape your life? And what does that? Because I, I think there are things about it that are really um, important. Like there's such a good like moral foundation to yeah. it. But I feel like there are just so often that it. I don't know. I just have a complicated relationship with it all. Well, I think I mean you know it depends on the church you go into, obviously. But like a lot of the ones that I come across in my reporting are always doing a lot of you know good in the community, and but they're kind of quietly doing it. And so I think some of that sort of stuff gets lost on I think the mainstream. I think at the very Mm -hmm. least. And so that's I think it's one of those things that's not like it's one of those things that reporters I just think don't think really understand all that well. So. do we want? Do you have any other observations or or notes that you want to make on the national election, or should we move no, on to I like think s- good. state stuff? I think I'm good. Yeah. Are you good? I think. Do you have any other thoughts? Um, I mean, I I I want I do want to talk a little bit about how I initially felt. I think if you know, I basically, I I felt that night was hard to process, and uh, I felt a little bit like I'd swallowed an anchor and been shoved into a swimming pool, 
And um, for multiple days after the election, I just, you know, I, I think I rode the same kind of wave of depression that a lot of other people had. Um, and I don't know that it was tied to like, it wasn't like a sports team losing. It wasn't like, I didn't feel bad that I'd lost. I just felt bad that he had won. And, and as much as I try, I keep coming back to like trying to be hopeful, but I also feel like there's that I have a responsibility to, um, to really hold him accountable. And so today I called my, uh, our, I called our, uh, um, senators and, and, uh, congressmen and, uh, I, you know, I said that we need to know what his financial interests are that, um, you know, he never released his tax returns and he's not going to put his business into a blind trust or he doesn't appear to be doing that. And, uh, the people of the United States, or at least the people who are making decisions in the United States need to know, uh, what is influencing him, what foreign influences he might have, what financial interests he might have, so that they can understand when a conflict of interest exists and presents itself. And I think that that can be a bipartisan issue. I think that's something that we can agree on, that our elected officials should be transparent in their, what might influence their decision making that's not in the general, in the good of the nation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... That was that was kind of where I came to. I'm also thinking of maybe starting a political party here in Alaska. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And I want to talk to you about that a little bit, maybe another time. But just in really roughly, I know that third parties are spoilers, and um, and I don't want to create something that like ruins future elections for other people. Um, but I do want to create a, a political organization that's different than than what we have and is not so tethered to national politics. I think that yeah. that a strong centrist uh, platform in Alaska could serve a lot of people and divorce itself from some national issues that really weigh down Democrats and Republicans. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I want to do is uh, create that group, but then not run any candidates for the first several years and just focus on um, election reform Hmm. so that um, we can install a system of voting that doesn't involve um, a third party candidate spoiling the election. Hmm. So, so a approval or rating system where you're basically selecting or ranking or rating candidates um, in a way that, uh, that like Maine's doing they, now. Yeah. Like Maine yeah. is doing. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm looking into different systems and seeing which ones I like, but I think it'll be a kind of an ongoing discussion. And actually on our, um, we have a nonprofit film festival here and we were working on the bylaws last week. So I, I wrote in a, a rating <laughs> system into that to experiment with that voting system. So we'll see what kind of problems emerge on a small scale. Yeah. Well, um, so a couple thoughts real quick on it. Um, yeah, there's a great um, YouTube series that I would encourage you and everybody to actually check out. is It's called um, it's uh, this guy named CGP Gray, and he basically does this great kind of illustration of the uses the animal kingdom, and he sort of explains all these different voting systems and and you know first past the post, uh, when you know and 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 uh, rating systems and kind of all mm-hmm. the different sort of problems and flaws and, and benefits of each system. And I think the one that he kind of settles on is sort of a proportional representation system with a with a with a uh, preference voting. So mm-hmm. in that that form, you'd have you know Fairbanks would have kind of at large elect five reps and two senators, and Juno would elect 
two reps and a senator and that kind of thing. And so it kind of because that's on, on some level, um, you know, that would allow for third parties oh, to get in there, so you're, too. You're talking about like eliminating the way we do districting as well. Mm-hmm. That's a great idea. Yeah, because the redistricting is such a soupy mess. Yeah. It'd be because then you could just have like the southeast region could mm-hmm. could elect its representatives at large from the region. Yeah. Now, do you worry about population centers pulling it too much to their and that's, advantage? And that's the whole, like, would, would that, that, Juno outvote Ketchikan? And yeah, I mean, that's the problem. Yeah, is that population centers could pull it, um, and, uh, and and then you, you would get into big problems there with uh, one person, one vote. Because uh, say Juno has enough population for 2.4 you know sent representatives but they only get two and fairbanks has enough for 2.6 you know our voters get amplified a lot more than yours would so there's some problems in there but it's a really interesting system to look at for at Hmm. least the how do you make um the viability of elections better and also i think the really really big question that we should really always be asking with these is how accurate does the represent the elected how accurate is the elected officials to the popular vote i guess exactly and that's where i think this ranking system is important is that you can you if you have five candidates you can say these are the three candidates that i would be okay with and this is the one that i prefer Mm -hmm. and and that kind of system gets you much different results then this is the one i prefer and everyone else is zero yeah exactly because then you have to make a really hard decision i mean like it you have to make this just you know then it, then you end up in this situation of it's a or b and yeah. um yeah it, because if you really don't like you know the other guy you but you really kind of you really like the third party and you really hate the other well, guy and so you're gonna and, you have to you have to strategically vote in these systems yeah in alaska in alaska system an alaska vote that that i use as, as, as an example is the murkowski miller mcadams election yeah is because oh, if you had, it, yeah. if those three candidates were up against each other and you could vote for your preference and then your like secondary preference or you could rate them mm-hmm. on some scale or something like that, then um, then like a Democrat might vote for Scott McAdams first, Lisa Murkowski second, Joe Miller third, mm-hmm. and a moderate Republican might vote Lisa Murkowski first, Joe Miller second, Scott McAdams third, and a more conservative Republican, like a more yeah. far right Republican, would vote Miller, Murkowski, and McAdams, and then you you start seeing different results, and you do. I think you do eventually get to something where you're more accurately representing the voters. But, and yeah, the one problem with that though <clears throat> is, uh, it you know, under that scenario, basically, if you run that if you run that race over and over and over again. You know, Scott McAdams is always going to come up third, third place. You know, and so um, third. Well, in the Lisa and well, so independent. I don't think so. I mean, well, first let me, of all, let me, re- let me rephrase that. Actually, so I may yeah. miss my point. But so, say you do have a system where you can allow a third party vote to to not be wasted, basically, um, right? In in accidentally electing your opponent. Your, your your biggest enemy and so the, the problem with it though is that under that system you know it's still very almost incredibly impossible i guess it's incredibly difficult or even impossible for those third party candidates to win and if they're not winning then it becomes difficult to see the reason to be continuing to put resources into this third party and so that's why something like a proportional representation system would work and i think that's actually maybe a more of a problem though for 
like yeah, lower forty eight districts. I, I think though, I yeah. think in I think in Alaska we've already seen independents win. Actually, so Alaska has sort of a we're trending in that direction, and, so, and I also think that it, it like I said, it it removes some of the national politics from the local mm-hmm. elections. Yeah, and so I think actually I think that's a I think it's a system that would work actually well because we are seeing interest and success of independent candidates in Alaska. Yeah. And I think that um, I think Alaska becomes all of a sudden like uniquely situated to um, to for for to become a place where this sort of a preferential vote could happen. And I think actually it's like a, the Democratic Party sort of recognizes that. And, you know, they want to do these open primaries where you independent candidates can win and then they would take the Democratic slot. And that's simply like, I don't... Then why have a party? Yeah. But but <laughs> yeah. It, I think it's they're recognizing, though, that, you know, if you have a Democrat and an independent, even if one of if the independent could win alone, you know that they're recognizing the fact that the, basically the democratic, a democratic t- spot on the ticket would take votes away from that independent candidate and hurt right. that independent candidate's choice of winning, and so and that independent candidate's and, more likely to agree with them than the Republicans. And so that's a way of gaming the system. And what I'm it saying is. is we should just change the way we vote. Yeah, and, and, and I mean so, absent that, that's the way they're gaming it. But yeah, yeah. So a party could still say, this is the candidate that we prefer. We don't have a candidate of our own running. Yeah. And so you actually, I mean, it's a, it's a way to skirt it and actually, or skirt what they're trying to do. And which is kind of a little, it's got some, yeah, it raises eyebrows. It raises eyebrows okay. the right way. This is what I want. Okay. Explain this to me actually a little more. So, so they want, um, like, let's say I'm running as an independent and the right. Democrats want to support me. Um, by not running someone against me, right? What uh, what's the problem with that? Well, I mean, then you're saying the Demo- Democrats, either, oh, the independent candidate is just a secret Democrat, right? But that's oh, I actually, I guess the problem with that is that anyone who's a registered Democrat oh. could just jump jump in, oh, and then the party, talk- party yeah. has to support them. Yeah, you're talking about right? like on the actual like the logistics of it. Yes, that's the problem. Yeah. Is that Joe so, Schmo, so Democrat, like Ray Metcalf did? basically yeah. like with the Ray Metcalf election. Exactly. So stock was an independent and she ran, uh, and the, the Democrats wanted to support her and not run a candidate of their own, mm-hmm. but they couldn't do that because they had a candidate of their own. Yes. So they had to do it in a weird way. And he wouldn't way. withdraw either. So, yeah. And I think I, that actually happened up here in Fairbanks in the North pole district where there was, um, representative Tammy Wilson, Republican. It's a very conservative district and they, uh, their their independent candidate got in this time, and she was really hoping. I think a lot of people were that were hope people who didn't like Tammy were really hoping the Democrat would drop out and give that her votes to um, the independent candidate. And that didn't happen, and the independent candidate base or the Democrat basically said, "I I have every right to run. You know why can't I run?" Basically, and so right. Um, I think yeah, I think and that's and that's the sort of thing. That's I think why it's so kind of uneasy about this sort of people withdrawing so the independent candidate can get in there is it's kind of like she shouldn't have to withdraw you know she shouldn't well, have so, to withdraw to, to no. clear the way for another candidate to win right but let's let's look at that situation so in that situation under a different voting system the people who supported tammy wilson probably would have chosen this middle ground person as their second choice yeah. and the people who chose the democrat probably would have chose the middle ground person as their second choice yeah. and the that might have been enough to make the that the the elected official yeah. and it pro- and that middle ground person probably would have represented everyone's interests more evenly. Yep, exactly. 
Fun. So that's what I want to work towards. Anyways, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I think that sounds really interesting. I think, I mean, yeah. realistically, I mean, you you, you got to start gathering sig- your signatures for your constitutional, you know, amendment. Really, you know, that's the thing. That's that's the thing. That's you know, I don't think it, it, it would never get through the legislature. Necess- maybe it would, but I don't. I don't think it. As long as any any sort of party actually controls the legislature and any or any chamber of the legislature, you'll never see that happen. But I think it's one of those you think things. So? Yeah, because it undermines the party. Yeah, it undermines the party. I think Democrats might, if the, both chambers were Democratic controlled, I think they might do it. But I think it's a way to control these. You know, it's it's a way to keep um, conservative districts solidly in Republican hands because you look at a lot of these districts and you say. I don't know if they're really Republican. They're conservative, but they're maybe not Republican. And yeah. and so that's why I think um, I think this new House coalition that we have is really interesting. Yeah. Good. Wow. Nice transition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 of course I ruined it by calling attention to it. But, that's right. Uh, here we, let's talk about that. I'm excited about the bipartisan coalition in the House. Yeah. It, um, and it's it's a good group of people, and I like what they're saying so far. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how everything plays out in effect, basically, you know, I think um, that's the only sort of like note of caution I have on here is that like, oh, yeah, all this sort of sense of openness and and that they're going to hear all the bills and the bills will be passed on the merits like, no, it could explode, it could could be a train wreck. But but, but even yeah, but even I think I think they're they're they're, trying, they're shooting for the moon. And if you know, if they might, if they still get into the stratosphere, I think will be, it'll be interesting. I think it well, could even be if a they do get into the stratosphere, then they have to agree with the Senate and work work out things with them. Yeah. So, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a tough session with with the very conservative Senate we have and the sort of middle ground left leaning bipartisan coalition yeah. in the House. It'll, yeah, it certainly will be. I think um, one of the some of the best moments that I've had in my last five years of covering the legislature are the times where um, party alignment breaks down i i think you know i've only you really have only seen it like a very few times i think you see it uh the most notable time actually that i remember is um when the uh senator senator uh and now i thought you're gonna say bear license plates oh yeah no, but senator <laughs> and president senate president-elect pete kelly um he had that um amendment to the bill to the marijuana bill that would have out preemptively outlawed um marijuana edibles and and concentrate Uh production and you saw actually that people kind of went in really not knowing how they wanted to vote on it or they maybe had their ideas but they weren't super firm in them and then i think as you saw the argument the discussion debate on the floor sort of play out you did see people's minds change and you saw votes change and the kind of the count that was sort of razor thin 10 10 maybe um went to like a 15-4, I think, by the end of the day. And it was really interesting. And I think it was because on that realm, um, there was no real hard and fast kind of, uh, uh, you know, Republican or Democrat side to it. But right, I think, there wasn't a party line. Yeah, and now we don't, ha- we don't have party lines in the House, really. Um, so w- seeing those lines erased and how, the, how that kind of discussion we had with marijuana where people really d- didn't have sort of pre-existing ideas of what is right and wrong um, being applied to stuff like the budget, I think will be really productive at the very least. Well, and the thing I'm interested to see is that this bipartisan coalition is made up of so many people who have spent a long time in the minority that they are eager to um, 
I, they seem to be approaching it, approaching it not with like a vengeful air, but yeah. like a, more of like a benevolent uh, be- benevolence to it, where they they they've said that, that that anyone can put legislation forward and, and they'll like advance it through the process. Yeah. And I don't know if they'll follow through on that, but I think that's a really good example to set if they can do that. Mm-hmm. Right to like anyone in the minority wants to make a bill, it's going to get assigned to a committee and it's going to go through the right process, and it's not we're not going to you know sit on it because you're the minority, which is what has happened for years and years. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what we'll see probably is that I think like ninety percent of legislation will get a hearing or at least you know have the chance of getting a hearing, and mm-hmm. I think though I think you'll still see. Um, you know, if a piece of legislation is particularly repugnant to a uh, committee chair, I think they we might still not see that that come right, up. But, but, that, but that might be more of an individual call. Than yeah, a, uh, I think that that's where it's actually going to be. I think that we kind of empower a lot of these individuals to make their own decisions. And I think over the last few years, we really have seen that there are some very different people within these caucuses and very different ways of thinking and very different priorities. Mm-hmm. So. And yeah, it's cool. I mean, the Muskox Coalition. I remember when they were like kind of formed one day. Baby Muskox. Yeah. <laughs> and now here they are, and they are totally the center of power. And I think it's how it happened is kind of interesting. But I think it's kind of it, what it says is that you know these kind of these moderates who felt like they weren't being represented by the wing of the party came together. And they basically stuck their necks out, and it worked out for them. You know, a little yeah. bit of courage um, and and conviction, I think, really worked well there. Mm-hmm. And we'll see if it whether see how well well it sticks. Yeah, will it work for the state? Yeah. I mean, who we'll see. I mean, this is like the test case, right? I mean, yeah. I think that's kind of one of the things my takeaways with the the national election is like all right let's see let's let's see it work you know let's see your promises in action i think that's the same thing here i think let's see it and let's you've been arguing complaining for so many years about how the process doesn't work and how the people in this chamber are impeding your great ideas and now now it's your turn now it's your turn so you better Mm -hmm. better stand up or and deliver or else you know as an alaskan one of the things that i've been seeing uh, is, is okay, great. The re- on the national level, the Republicans are, have the president and both houses, and are going to basically get to determine the direction of the street, Supreme Court for who who knows how long, and so they're going to be be ultimately accountable for all the shit that's going wrong. And there's like people that are kind of rubbing their hands together and just like, aha, we've given them so much rope they can hang themselves. And and I really, you know, my experience as an Alaskan living under a, in a very conservative state for a very long time with, you know, conservative governors and both houses. And I, they don't, they aren't going to stand up and take credit for their failures they're going to blame the price of oil and the and the uh price of zinc and and butterflies flapping their wings in china and it's not like i think to to get giddy about the 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 things that will go wrong that you hope will go wrong i don't think we should be hoping things will go wrong and that they'll and that they'll (laughs) there will be some train wreck that they'll be that will be pinned on them um well so because like even even if something we don't want things to go wrong, yeah. right? Well, so one of the things that like and here's you mentioned your your election night um, feelings, I guess, or your response on yeah. election night. I think one of the big things that I I took away that night was that it was kind of the the end of optimism in a way, or at least the end of expectations, because I think that was kind of why that night was so traumatic for so many people is that 
Yeah. You know, we had all these polls, all the traditional and conventional wisdom was saying that we were going to get one outcome and we got like exactly the opposite. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I think um, it kind of meant like, don't expect anything. Don't kind of, it's not necessarily don't be optimistic, but just a lot of X, you know, pegging your pegging your future on expectations that something will happen i think is kind of becoming and as as last tuesday proved a fool's errand and so i think um the takeaway that i had and i think the takeaway that a lot of people are having across this country is that if you want change if you want something to be different you really need to get engaged and do it yourself in some ways yeah. and so like for you that's this new uh, political party. Uh, for me, it's, it's getting healthy again. Like I've put on a lot of weight over the last year and I need to put, I like, I've taken care of that. You know, I need to get more active and eat better. And like, I don't know why, like that was something that was never going to be solved either way. But I think there was a sense now that like there really is kind of nothing watching out for us. And so I need to, it feels like all the safety nets just got folded up and put away and we're swinging around on the trapeze still. And I think, I think maybe that safety net was never there. Maybe, maybe yeah. that was what it was. And like, we're maybe just waking up yeah. to that. Yeah. Maybe we just look down, we realize it's painted on the concrete ground. Yeah. And so, you know, you got to cling on and you got to really fight for what you believe in and what you want to happen. And that kind of change you want to see in the world, whether yeah. it's like, you know, having, yeah, a, this is a, a call to action. Yeah. Whether it's having a new voting system or, or even if it's just a little thing in your life, I think, whether it's, you know, getting healthy so you can hang around and see your kids, you know, grow up or it's, you know, or saving money or, or teaching your dog not to be a bad dog like mine is. Or just, dis- yeah, everyday displays of kindness. Yeah. And, you know, Whatever we talk a lot is. about the need to understand um, other parts of our, our country better, other sort of segments. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be like saying that's fine, but what are you actually doing to help people? me understand you and you understand me like what are you doing to get out of your comfort zone and i think that's kind of what we'll, we need to see more of that's what we need to do more of with this yeah. too yeah like we, we want to i think we should go talk to more people and we should we should work on that and that should be our goal for this next year with the show yeah i think that would be great i think um you know talking to a priest talking to people that we don't really interact with and, and kind of understanding what their life is like and helping that is not only good for us, but maybe good for our, our listeners. All right. Let's, uh, let's pack it up. Let's call it a night. That was a a good conversation. I feel, um, you know, despite my frustrations, I feel really hopeful for our state and for our people. And, uh, I do too. How about this? we like to end the show on a good note. Yeah. Right. So what's, let's find something positive here at the end. What's, what's going on in Alaska that you are really pumped about right now? Oh, that I'm really pumped about right now. Actually, I had something I was thinking about last week that I saw. I had something too. And I, it's all been erased from my yeah. mind, but if oh I dig God. deep, it's in there in my lizard brain. Hold on a second. Let me think about that. Okay. So, uh, my good news is a person I, I came across, uh, in my reporting, um, a non-elect one of the very few non-election stories I've been doing the last month, 
and it is uh, her name is um, Maya Salganik. I know Maya. Yeah, she's at the she's the um, film program. Maya Salganik does the UAF film program, right? Yeah, she's great. Um, basically, she's she's the head of the UAF film program. She basically helped like create it. She showed up in Alaska and said, "Why is no nobody's making movies? Nobody's making films, and nobody's kind of doing what I like to do." And and kind of in the grand tradition, I think of uh, Alaskans making things that uh, that that aren't here she basically got this film program up and running in alaska and um and what i what it what it was so special to me about it is that i think what she's doing up at uaf is a lot of what kind of we've been discussing this episode which is um trying to portray and help kind of marginalized communities tell their stories in a kind of authentic and and um sensitive and sympathetic manner and kind of you know there's stories the movies that have come out of there are you know like alaska land which is about a nigerian born or a nigerian growing up in fairbanks and like that's what a what a kind of amazing oh, wow. story and kind of amazing life experience that i would never really run into and i think she, that's the sort of thing that she's hoping to do there and i think that is just something that we really need really really need nowadays so yeah, I'm glad that you you chose her as your your uh, good thing about Alaska because I think she's I think she's fantastic and she's doing such oh, good yeah. work with the students up there. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. So my um, what is my good thing? My good thing is um, good grief! I still don't have one. Hold on a second. I'm just like trying to figure you out. Like see, I don't know. You like seen a dog lately? That's pretty, pretty good. <sighs> I like in a time when I'm frustrated and uh, and hurt and a little bit afraid for the future, I like to look around me and see that I'm surrounded by all these incredible, amazing people. And uh, I, I just see that everywhere in my community. Like I, I really was lying low for a few days and now I've kind of poked my head up and it, I'm seeing that there are people making things and doing things and... Um, and you know fundamentally nothing has changed yet in our community and and i don't think in our state either and change may be coming and it may not be the kind of change that i want but i'm surrounded by the people that i want to be surrounded by when whatever change comes whether that's good or bad there's so many great people here and um and i you know i'm gonna i don't know maybe it's a little bit of an out but i'm going to just say like the people of alaska are my thing this week that that uh that i'm excited about see you guys later right <laughs> what do we do at the end <laughs> this has been a this has been a podcast created by matt buxton and patrick race uh you can find other podcasts and uh things at the uh website we have which is hello alaska.pizza and you can email us <laughs> Uh, hey guys at hello alaska.pizza or you can find mm -hmm. uh, you can find both of us on Twitter I'm at Alaska Robotics and I'm at Matt Buxton or wait no you're not Sorry. <laughs> no I, that's my other one my personal again you have a secret one that I'm not subscribed to uh, I never use it oh okay yeah. well, I think I maybe tweeted about wrestling once with it well um, that's the one I'm following then yeah <laughs> okay no, what's your I, real thing then yeah and I'm at uh, and I'm at FDNM politics all right. Goodbye, Alaska. Goodbye.